everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around security for the last 20 years. I have a lot of experience working with this variety of cybersecurity vendors. And my main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and motivation of people starting their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. And today we have Dan. Can you please introduce yourself and the company? Hi, everyone. My name is Dan, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Dig Security. Dig Security is a cloud data security company, and we help organizations protect data across AWS, Azure, GCP, Snowflake, Databricks, and wherever they essentially can store data outside of their on-premise environments. I'm happy to be here, Evgeny. Dan, if I will ask you for an elevator pitch about the company, can you explain what you guys do? So Dig Security is a cloud data security company. We help organizations discover, first off, what data they have in the public cloud, then how is that data being used, and of course, how do we protect it in real time from any type of data threat? Most organizations that we talk to today can't answer three, these three main questions. It's like, what is my data landscape across my different clouds, whether it is AWS, Azure, GCP, Snowflake, Databricks, and so on. How is that data being used? How is data flowing inside the organization? Where do I have data risks? And lastly, how do I protect my data from essentially leaving my cloud perimeter? Think about it as like DLP for cloud. Dig essentially bundles it up in single platform. We're a data security platform and we help organizations essentially build the modern data security stack for the modern enterprise. Thank you. I guess when you're in the cloud, you can just unplug the cable and say, I'm secure. Of course, data security is a huge topic. And today, if you talk to like data security teams, most of them don't have the right tool set. They use fragmented solutions in those specific clouds, like AWS Macy only for AWS buckets and Google DOP only for Google BigQuery. And all of them essentially are looking for a single engine that will span across the different clouds and across the different environments. Single pane of glass for data security. How do we essentially enable them for success instead of building custom scripts or using privacy solutions that don't do security, right? Thank you very much. I think I'm very lucky to talk to you today because literally, Fresh from the oven, you guys just <laughs> raised a lot of money and I'm very happy for you. So maybe you can tell what you guys did and just maybe share some news. Of course. So uh, you're right. We recently closed our A rounds. We did a $34 million A round led by SignalFire and Felicis and Okta. And of course, with participation from our existing investors like teammates. This brings our total funding to $45 million in a year, which is, I think, extremely lucky in, in this specific set of like market environment. So yeah, we announced, I think on Wednesday, last Wednesday, and we had our final signature about two weeks ago. So it was like very fast, but I think that our market is evolving so quickly and the need for data security products, especially for like cloud environments is growing so significantly that I think that this is just a testament of what the market wants right now and our approach to this market. There's definitely a lot of data and we need to understand what's happening with the data. So I think it's a, you guys are in the right path. So let's dive into motivation. The company is relatively young and I'm wondering mm -hmm. what happened in your life. And I know it's not only you because there are three people. Even so, I always think dig is related to digging, but apparently it's not. <laughs> Tell me what happened. Why you guys came to conclusion that you need a company to fix data problem? Of course. So first off, I co-found my... 
I co-founded this company with like two of my friends, Gad. That's where Big comes from, Danny Go and Gad. And a bit about myself, I've been in tech for the past 20 years. I started my tech career in the Israeli army at 8200. I think like most of the Israeli entrepreneurs you've probably met. After that, I co-founded two companies. My first one got acquired by CA Technologies back in 2013. We did identity and access management on prep. After that, I co-founded the retail startup, which is still running today, a profitable Excel business. And then I spent a couple of years both at Google and at Microsoft. At Google, I led Google Cloud for Startups as a global CTO. At Microsoft, I led the Casby products, which is the Adelam acquisition. Fantastic people, fantastic products. And my last position was leading the multi-cloud security strategy for Microsoft. So helping Microsoft transition from single cloud security to multi-cloud security. Uh, my two co-founders also sold their previous companies. Ido sold this company to a French company called Toluna. God sold this company to mine in 2020. And we just banded up together to start Dig. The is something happened. You guys drinking beer. You just <laughs> was not know what to do with yourself. Like there's probably something. Was there some connection? You didn't just randomly, you know, saw each other on the street and say, "Hey, let's have a company." <laughs> Yeah. So first off, I think it came with the idea, right? I was leading the the largest SaaS data security product in the market, which is the Microsoft Cassidy. And we noticed that while SaaS data is just growing significantly, public cloud data is growing even at a faster pace. And we just don't have proper solutions to, to essentially protect this. All the solutions that we used to have are on-prem based, like Veronis, which is a great product, but not suitable for, for like public clouds. We used to have dams, but they require an agent to install on the database, not relevant in the public cloud. And most of our customers at Microsoft were just running in multi-cloud environments. So even if you solve it for AWS, you need to solve it again for Azure. Even if you solve it for Azure, you need to solve it again for Snowflake or for GCP. So the need for a multi-cloud data security product just came to us through my work at Microsoft. But then I banded up with two of my friends. It was kind of an obvious choice. I wanted co-founders that essentially did this one, it was like one time before. Though I met in the army 20 years ago. So it was quite obvious for us that essentially one day we're going to build a company together. God, I met while I was working at Google and a short friend of us he's really the lead mind. I think you should talk to him. And we did the founder dating for, I think, three to four months before we started the actual company. We wanted to make sure that this is the right fit between the three of us. And we have a shared vision and a shared alignment of where we want this company to go. I think it's a very important topic to, to talk amongst founders. Do you want to do a fast exit? Do you want a big company? How do you want this company to be? What is our values? What is our culture? And that's why we spent a lot of time to essentially do this founder dating piece. And we decided this is the right fit. This is the right group of people. This is the right problem to solve. And we all left our day jobs and co-founded Dig. Three of you had companies before. Correct. How do you decide who has which role? Do you play poker? <laughs> and I think it was quite obvious to us. I was the more outgoing person, the... I think the more fun-facing persona inside the organization. Ido was the VP R&D of his previous company. God was the CTO of his previous company. So it was kind of a natural fit. And I think this arrangement essentially worked for us from day zero. I mean, we had a clear separation of roles. We had a clear strengths and weaknesses of each. We all have weaknesses. We all have strengths. And I think this arrangement essentially played to our strengths. You have an idea. You saw a problem. Now you need to validate and do market research. 
Correct. Kind of in a way, you already have market research. You saw the problem, but now you need to validate somebody will buy it. Correct. So what's the next step? I think Israel is a good testbed for every type of security product out there. I think we interviewed over 100 different CISOs or security leaders or data security leaders from different types of organizations, both in Israel, the US, Europe, everyone that we were able to get a conversation with. I think that my role at Microsoft helped me a lot with that because I had a lot of my customers that I was able to reach out to. But we talked with over 100 CISOs. We kept refining our message, refining what we're building, how we're building it. What is the most important piece that they want us to solve first? And once we felt that we were ready, we started fundraising. Because we so came you didn't so prepared, build anything yet. You started to fundraise even before you We built a POC. We wanted to make sure that we were able to actually build what we were saying that we're going to build. We built that POC. Once we saw that the POC works, we went ahead and started building the actual... I mean, we went ahead and started like fundraising. And the fundraising process was quick. I think we finished our entire fundraising process in less than two weeks. So I think that we were lucky, but we also came super prepared. That week that we started fundraising, we met, I think, 10 funds that we kind of marked down that we wanted to essentially talk to. Four of them gave us an actual term sheet. And we went with one, which is teammates. So I think all of them are great funds because we pre-selected those specific funds. But teammate was the best fit for us, both because of the actual people and the actual help that we thought that we're... That, that we're also going to get and the alignment of where we want to bring this company to. I think teammate is on my to-do list to bring Nadav on the show as well because <laughs> I want to understand how Nadav started. And why I think Nadav he's a great speaker. Team. And by the way, funny fact, Nadav was my first army commander in 8200. So he was the head of 8200 when I was a soldier in the army 20 years ago. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. You had the POC, you raised some money, you now need to raise the team and need to stay on track. How was raising Correct. the team? How hard is to raise the team? Is, imagine Israel, there's so many great companies in Israel and so many great people in Israel. How do you find the correct people? Actually, again, we, we were pretty lucky. Each of us essentially brought a couple of former employees of ours. So I was able to bring some friends that I used to work with in the past or former employees of mine. Ido brought his former employees. God brought his former employees. So I think the initial 15 employees in the company all used to work for at least one of us or used to work for a friend of ours. So it was kind of a small little bed of people that we already knew how to work with. The next 15 was kind of a second circle. And now the next 30 that we're hiring right now, I think is a little bit harder because it's not kind of our immediate circle. But it's still friends of friends or friends of employees. I think this is how it should be. I don't think that um, a company should like hire an initial person that they don't know when they're so, so young. Most CTOs should be able to bring five to 10 employees. Most CEOs should be able to bring five to 10 employees at the kind of incubation of the company. And also when I invest in companies, I look at that specific factor. Can they bring that initial team? Do I believe that they're able to essentially hire that initial five to 10 employees because that's the hardest one. And if you don't bring that right culture and the right employees in in the first go, I think that your next two years is going to be super hard. You mentioned values in the beginning. How values decide or help you to hire people? So actually, I think Ido gave us this questionnaire and we ranked how do we prioritize specific characteristics of every employee when we built this company? 
And we wanted to see how does each one of us essentially look at characteristics of different employees. And all of them were essentially important, right? Kindness, professionalism, and so on. But this ranking and talking about the specific ranking was super valuable because it allowed us to essentially align on what is important to us. We essentially prioritize this together. And this is how we picked employees. And I think that once you already worked with other people for, let's say, a year, two, three, four, five, then you already know if it matches or if they match your specific set of values. And some employees that we also worked with in the past didn't match that set of values. And we didn't bring them on board. Maybe they were a fit for our previous companies, but they aren't a fit for this one. I love every single person that I used to work with in the past, but not necessarily they're the right fit for a company this stage. How hard was to come up with values? It sounds easy, but I know for a fact it's not something that you just come up and you have it. It's actually not easy because I think that we can all align kind of on the top 15 values, right? When you need to bring it down to five, I think that's important. I don't think we actually made our values public yet. We're actually adding a new page into our website soon. But I think that's super important because it's, it's that it, also, there is no better times than now. <laughs> I know. We're actually building a new website right now. We launched parts of it, but we haven't launched all of it. And one of the most important things, once you align on values, you also know if a specific employee in the first call or a specific candidate on the first call also matches those specific sets of values. So this alignment is super important both for hiring managers in my team, our HR person in my team, our recruiter. And I think that if they don't see those specific sets of values or they see something that uh, that like completely goes against one of these sets of values, then we shouldn't hire that person. There's a lot of tasks that you need to take care of. How do you stay on track? How do you make sure you focus on the right tasks? So I think that you need to have a single owner for every single task. I don't handle any engineering tasks and they don't handle any sales tasks, right? Now that our team is larger, then I have a VP of sales and I have a VP of marketing and I have head of HR and I have a COO and I have a CFO. So each person needs to kind of align on their own tasks and manage their own tasks. But I think that oversharing is super important. No one wants, I mean, I don't want anyone to wonder what the other person in the team essentially is doing. So in our management team meetings, we constantly kind of overshare. What did I do to, I mean, what did I do this week? What are my struggles? What are my challenges? What are my successes? And I think that's super important. And I help each one of my executive leaders to essentially keep on track because there's so many tasks to essentially do. And our goal is to essentially stay focused, right? So how do we prioritize the most important task for each specific division? Do you use any custom task management system, CRM, or what's the best way you find just to make sure everybody stay on top of the tasks and know about it? So them? actually each team uses their own. So our engineering team use get, think GitHub tasks. Our product and design team use Asana. And one other team uses Excel. So each kind of team uses their own. And of course, we have a CRM, which we use HubSpot today, but we're also building Salesforce as well. So each team essentially manages their own tasks, but they bring that level of visibility into the entire executive management team. So here's an interesting question that I've been thinking about it actually during the weekend. You run the sales organization. There is an engineering organization. I'm sure you customers come up with, oh, if you had this feature, I'll buy it you tomorrow or something like this. 
but the engineering has their own idea and their own roadmap. What do you do? How do you align what to develop? Next? We're a product-led company. So product essentially defines what we're building. And products um, usually hops on most of customer calls, or at least when they essentially like, like progress. But we also have our sales team essentially bringing all the different requirements that they hear in customer calls once a week. So there's a sales and product weekly call that they essentially bring all the different topics that were raised in customer calls because product is usually involved once the sale is done, right? Or once the customer has already onboarded the actual product. But we want to hear of why didn't they onboard the actual product? So every time each of our sales people essentially builds, um, essentially finish a call, then I ask them to always write three things in our customer feedback channel. We have a customer feedback channel on Slack and the entire company is part of that specific channel. What did the customer like about Dick security? What did the customer didn't like about Dick security? And what was the problem that they were trying to solve using Dick? And I think that's super valuable because every single person in my team, whether it is HR or engineers or front-end or back-end or product or customer success or even finance are able to read the specific snippets because eventually I'm not the right, I'm not the guy writing the actual codes. I want every single person in the company to be empowered to think and understand the actual customer stories. And that's super, super valuable. So we constantly overshare data about what we hear in customer conversations. And I think that's super valuable. It's important, very important part. Any big wings that help you to understand, oh, go, I'm definitely on the right track. I'm definitely going the place that people need this product. And it, as you mentioned, it's solving problems for my customers. Any big wins. So I think that every time you onboard a new customer and the customer gives you good feedback and the customer is willing to pay out of their precious budget, I think that's a big win for a customer. I mean, for a company like ours, especially when we're young, right? We don't have a hundred million dollars in revenue. We're still young and every win matters. Now, I think that's there's also other wins, like the fact that we were named in the Gartner report for DSPM. I think Gartner is a super important factor in the buying decision of large enterprises today. And the fact that a young company like ours was mentioned amongst older companies, two, three, four, five years old companies, I think it's super valuable. And I think it's just a testament to, we're, to the fact that we're building something that, uh, that customers are asking about, customers care about. And that we're getting enough traction that the like, Gartner analysts are willing to essentially put our name in a specific report because they're getting enough questions about us. Chicken or the egg? Do you go develop the product and then tell the customer about new features? Or you tell the customers before even you have the product and say, oh, it's going to come soon? Sometimes chicken and sometimes egg. So sometimes we have a clear conviction of what we need to build and we just build it. But now that, we, that I think that we have enough customers in our portfolio, we have dozens of customers around the globe that we don't need to like develop anything on our own. Every single feature that we build with a customer or with a set of customers. For example, when we built our Snowflake integration, we had a set of customers that already asked us for it. So we built it with them. How do we, what kind of data do you want to get from Snowflake? What are the different critical capabilities you want to understand of how is your data being protected? What are the kind of threats that you already experienced today within Snowflake? And I think that's super valuable. So every large feature we always build with our customers, and if it's a small feature, then it depends. 
it depends. But I think that when you're young, you need to kind of do it based on conviction or even based on mockups. And when you're older, you essentially build the actual features with customers themselves. So then let's switch gears. Let's talk about the dark side. What's went wrong? It could be POCs, customers, VCs, people at the company hiring, anything you think is relevant. And for everybody that's listening, please don't forget to subscribe, comment, share with your friends, and also maybe support us on the Patreon page as well. So then, tell me about the dark side. So I don't think that we had like a big mess yet. We're still a young company, and I still don't, I still don't think that we reached the point that we had a big catastrophic event. I do think though that we made a couple of mistakes throughout the way, and I think that we fixed them quite quickly. So first off, I think one thing that completely changed how we do business in our company was a lot of our customers, once you do a POV with them, they look to you for like guidance on how does a POV look like? Like what is the scope of the actual POV itself? Which accounts, which subscriptions, which projects do you want to do it in the environment itself? How do you showcase ROI? How do they bring this up to their management? What is the actual checklist? And we struggled with essentially building this type of checklist initially. And I think that once we did, we essentially created a template POV guide that completely transformed their business. We send this out as a suggestion to our customers. And that is accelerated, I think, 3x or 4x our POV processes. So customers don't have to kind of build this from scratch. They use our POV template. And then they, of course, modify it to adapt to their own organization. And I think that's super successful. Second thing, I think that that process of building that proper communication between sales and engineering is always kind of a tough process. How do you communicate even losses or how do you communicate even successes? What is oversharing? If engineering knows about every single customer account that we talk to, and then let's say 80% of them don't close and 20% is still a very good number, right? So how do you explain that? How do you explain what essentially went wrong? How do you not discourage the other people on the other side? So I think that's an important piece of it. How do you properly manage the expectations and how do you share successes, but also share losses and explain why you lost specific accounts? And last but not least is properly managing your communication with both investors, advisors, partners. How do you enable everyone for success? And I think that initially we didn't properly put KPIs and requests both from our investors and both from our partners and then from us. So I think that alignment process is a little bit difficult in the beginning, but because we already did this in the past, we knew that this is kind of a growing pain that we will need to do as a company. So we built a proper cadence with each one of our investors. We aligned them on what is the top three things that they can help us with, each one with their own kind of set of specific criteria. They aligned with us on what is their governance? What do they need to see from us every single quarter or every single six months? And I think that alignment went really well. And also a lot of founders, I see this, they take most customer conversations on their own. And I think that's a huge mistake. I think you need to give your employees to actually do their conversations because a lot of companies struggle when they switch between the seed round and the A round that instead of using the founders as multipliers, they use them as a crutch. And I think that is a very big topic. 
And I think this is something that a lot of young companies, when they transition to having 40, 50, 60 people are struggling with because they haven't enabled their team to properly take customer conversations on their own. It's like scale up on their own. They didn't build teams properly very early in, in the process. And I think that they struggle with that as well. So in this A round or this stage of the company, the founder goal is to be a multiplier and not a clutch. We need to be a multiplier for every single lead or executive in my company to help them be successful. And they will help their team be successful as well. This is a very good advice, as you mentioned. And I guess you didn't just come up with them. It was lesson learned because something didn't work out and you've realized you need to change. Of course. I think that in the beginning, it's easier for us to essentially take a customer conversation, right? I probably did 1,500 customer calls this year. <laughs> so I don't think that there's any objection that I haven't heard up until now, right? I don't think that there's any kind of problem that we haven't seen in a process up until now. But most of my employees that they're going to lead the actual customer conversations, they haven't seen all of them. And the goal for them, if they're going to have teams underneath them, they need to be the experts like we are the experts today. So building out this process, letting people experiment, have their own successes, have their own failures, I think that's super important. And helping them kind of navigate and learn at an accelerated pace, I think that's super important as well. So before we done with the conversation, I do want to have an important question to ask. How do you decide on which deals to bring the team to rent, to, to let it run the, the deal? Because as a founder, your objective to close big deals, but you also mm -hmm. need to train the people. So this is a part when you don't want them, let's say, screwed up, but you want them to learn as well. So, okay, you can say this is a small customer you start, but then small customer will have not the same problems as a big customer. And if you're on a call, how would you be quiet and not interrupt and not jump in? Because the moment you jump in, it's done. That's it. They switch to you. That's a difficult question, but I think that's, probably 95% of all founders that I talk to on a daily basis kind of struggle with as well. But you have to be quiet. You have to let them fail. You have to let them experience. And I think that the major deals are still CEO-led. I don't think that you can avoid it. If it's a 500K deal at our company stage, it's always kind of a CEO-led deal. If it's a 50K, 100K, 200K, then it doesn't necessarily need to be a founder-led deal. So, and I always let them shadow my conversations. Every single new hire, they can always shadow my conversations. And I always allow them to essentially invite me to essentially do the big customer demo, big customer presentation, and then they essentially carry on the actual deal themselves. And they ask a lot of questions. And everyone should be able to make mistakes. That's completely fine. I mean, this is how we grow. We hire people to be successful at the company for many years to come. And first year is kind of a learning curve. And second year is kind of where people usually like accelerate, right? So I think that's super important to also do as well. Thank you. I know one of the things I always did on my calls, because I did a lot of pre-sales calls in my life as well, I always mandate people to be on Slack, Teams, whatever the chat you guys are using. Like, I need everybody to be there. And this way, we can talk and we can point each other over writing. Ask this. Don't go there. No, back off. Let's switch topics. So we sometimes do it via Slack. Sometimes we do it via WhatsApp. I think each custom, I think each employee has kind of their own communication methods. But I think eventually 
you also need to let employees and people make mistakes because this is how you also learn. And especially if it's not an account that matters that much, it's very early in the process. I'm happy for them to make mistakes. We have a very large market. So everyone needs to learn and everyone needs to be there. But if I'm on the call, then of course, I'll help guide them through the specific call because I've already done many of these calls in the past. And thank you very much. Was very happy to talk to you today. I myself learned a lot. And I hope people that are listening to us as well will learn as well. And maybe ask me questions, maybe ask you questions me on LinkedIn so they will know how to find you as well. Thank you very much for the call today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Evgeny. Everybody listening to us, thank you very much for joining. Please comment and share, subscribe, and we'll see you in the next episode.